this series that we're finishing today, it's, it was, it's called Revision, A Year of Faith. And just to clarify, we're not revising our vision, we're reinforcing it. We know 2020 was a, a tough year where, where fear was uh, really pushing out a lot of faith in a lot of people, and we believe 2021 is meant to be a year of faith for us, that we would live by faith and not by fear. And uh, so we're, we're reinforcing the fact that we believe God has called us to live a life of bold faith, bold faith. And uh, the, the verse we've been sharing each week this month out of this series is out of Hebrews 11 and 6. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we always do, just in honor of reading God's word. And uh, I'll read out of Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We've been talking about the invitations of Jesus where he invites us into greater places of faith. And over the last three weeks, we talked about his invitation for us to have faith to know him, to step out, and to live free. Last week, we talked about living free. Today, we're going to finish this off by talking about faith to make an impact. He has called us and equipped us to make an impact in the lives of those that would come across our path. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you today again, and we thank you for your presence in this place Holy Spirit, we desperately need you. We are desperate for you, God, to come. Have your way in each one of our lives. Minister to us, Lord. Show us the truth of your word and let it be used to glorify you. This time is all about you, Jesus. You and you alone deserve all the glory. I pray do your work in our hearts during this time we have together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Before you're seated, just tell somebody, let's make an impact. Amen. So did you know that you impact somebody's, people's lives every day? You probably know that. Some days you may not feel like you do, but we, God has set it up that for us as humans that we impact lives and lives impact us every day. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, but we are all making an impact. If you had some road rage this week, somebody had an impact in your life wasn't good, but it was impact. Hopefully you didn't respond in kind. Um, but we're always, we're always being impacted and we're always making impact in people's lives. We're always influencing people's lives because that's the way God has designed it. In fact, you're probably making more of an impact than you know. In fact, there might be people talking about you right now. It's very possible. Are they talking well or are they talking bad? I guess there's no way to know, right? But we are influencing people's lives in ways that we don't even always know. And you know, every act we do, every, every time we impact somebody that has a chain reaction, you know, our, our actions cause somebody else to react and it has a chain reaction. You probably heard the term, the butterfly effect, where something very small that could happen over here can have a chain reaction and actually grow to where when it gets over here, it actually has a much larger impact than what it actually started out as because of the the chain reaction, the chain of events that can occur because of even just a small thing. It always reminds me of when I was 18 years old and I was just starting to get to where I wanted to serve Jesus. And, and uh, my pastor up in Ohio of my church came over to my friend's house. I was over at my friend's house. He came over to talk to me because I was all distraught about something. I, I'm pretty sure it had something to do with a girl. And um, I don't even remember every, all the details, but it was, you know, it was teenager problems. Not that those aren't legit teens, but, you know, when, you, when you're in your late 40s, the teenage problems don't seem quite as big. And uh, 
So he came over and we were just talking and I was pretty distraught. And he, he, he just finally asked me, he said, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I don't know. I'll probably just, you know, piddle, do this or that. I didn't have much of a vision or a, a, a plan for my life. And, and I'll never forget it. And I've shared this before, but he, he looked at me with boldness in his eyes and in his voice. And he said, don't you ever settle for less than what God has for you. He said, God has a plan for your life. In fact, God has called you to be a pastor. He's put a pastor's heart in you and you're going to pastor one day. And it was the first time it ever even been a blip on my radar. No one had ever said that to me. I never thought it. But when he said it, I knew it was true. I just knew it. And it, that one event changed the course of my life to get me to where I am today. Because of that one moment where he decided he was going to make an impact in my life. And the crazy thing is, if he hadn't been there, who knows how that would have happened. You know, God can still get you where he wants you. But the fact that my pastor was obedient even to to coming to our church because he had been a missionary in the Philippines. He'd been all over the world. He was at the time he was working in Hawaii, really suffering for Jesus. Uh, but he was, he was training young adults to go to the mission field. And our church called him and said, Hey, would you mind, would you be willing to come and pastor our church? And he said, yes. And he came and had an impact in my life and brought me to where I am today. And you just see the chain of events and how that works. And that's how God's designed it. He set it up that we would, that we would be used to advance the kingdom of God through the impacts we make in people's lives. Each and every one of us are called to make an impact. And the church as a whole, even, even the church, the local church, the design is that it would make an impact in community. It's one of the main purposes of the church. Our desire as a church is that when people come in here on Sunday mornings, we would make an impact in your life. And that we would not just make an impact in here, but we would make an impact in the community. That we'd be part of the community. You know, somebody said one time, if you want to know if your church is effective, think about what would be like if your church closed your doors tomorrow, sold the building and dissolved the whole church, you never had church again, would your community know it? Would they care? Would it make a difference if your church wasn't there? And I think about that all the time for New Hope. I will say, if we closed up shop tomorrow, Dunkin' Donuts and Bojangles would know it. <laughs> we, we spent a lot of money there. But, but it goes beyond that. Do, the, do other areas of our community know? Would they know if we weren't here? And I think they would, but I think we could do better. You know, we support the bridge ministry. We help the homeless. We support eye care to help women that have been trafficked. We support missions all over the world. I, I believe it's over 100,000 people are in church today because of the missions efforts of New Hope. So we're, we've done a lot, but there's always more impact to be made. There's always more for us. And as individuals... A major aspect of the will of God for our life is that we would make an impact for his kingdom. That we, would, that we would make a difference for the kingdom of God. Everybody wants to know God's will. His plan for each one of us is different. But his will for us and what he has called us to in a lot of ways is the same for each and every one of us. We are all called. Every one of us, the will of God for our life is that we would impact people's lives for the kingdom of God and for his glory. Because you see, the thing about faith is that faith... If you boil it down, it's, everybody's faith is, is meant to be threefold. If your faith is going to be healthy, it's threefold. There's three purposes for your faith. First is to honor God. Second is to bless others. And third is to sustain me. That's the plan that God has. That's what our faith is meant to do in our life. And if your faith is healthy, it will resemble all three of those. And if it's missing one of those then your faith is not healthy. You're, you're missing something of what God's purpose is for you. See, because all of us are really good at that third one. 
we're good at letting, help, using our faith to sustain us. That's, that's easy. That is super easy. In fact, there is a huge doctrine out there that teaches that that's what your faith is about. That it is all about you. It is all about you getting what God wants to bless you with and you getting yours. And it, even if you're going to honor God, you're honoring God is really just so that he'll sustain you. So that he'll meet your needs and give you what you need. And this is a false doctrine, church. Because it's not about just sustaining me. That's part of our faith. That needs to be an aspect of it. Because if we're not being sustained, what's the, we're not going to be able to even function. But our faith needs to have all three of those. You know, some of us want to be superhuman or super Christians, so we just focus on number one. Like, hey, everything's just about honoring God. No, I, I don't have time to go serve the bridge under the, under the bridge to serve homeless people. I, I'm, I'm too busy honoring God. I'm too busy loving Jesus. It's just me and him. I read my Bible all day, and I pray, and I fast. I do all this. It's all about me and Jesus. And we just want to be just honoring God, but we miss out on blessing others, that aspect of our faith. And if we're doing that, our faith is out of balance. It's not healthy. It's meant to have all three of those. And you know, that second one is the one that gets neglected the most. That's the one that we give, we give our leftovers if we have anything left. Most of us are good at using our faith to sustain ourselves, and we want to honor God. But the idea that we would use it to bless others is, is usually far down the list in third place. And if we, if we do get to it, it's going to be somewhat minimal in many situations in our life. But see, true, healthy faith will always make an impact in others. Always. Because faith is revealed by what we do for others. Our faith is revealed by what we do for others. And you might say, wait a minute, what about what we do for God? Like our faith, our faith for, in God is revealed by what we do for him. Well, you know, the majority of what you do for God, even to honor God, is what you're going to do for others. Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you want to honor me? Do you want to, do you want to exalt me? Feed my sheep. That's what he said. That's how you honor God. The, the things we do for God really are, are minimal. I mean, worship is for God. You know, we sing, we sing out our praise to God. That's for him. But when we're actually doing things for God, it's usually, God's usually saying, you want to do something for me? Make an impact. Do something for others. That's the design of our faith, is that we would make an impact. So if we want to have a healthy faith, if we want to have a functioning faith, it's imperative that we are helping to expand his kingdom and his glory through our life. James 2 and verse 18, look what James says. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Now listen, he's not saying here that there's two different approaches to faith. Some just say they'll have faith and just believe. The rest, some of us will actually do and put our faith into action. He's not saying that those both are appropriate. He's actually roasting the people that would say, well, I just have faith. He's saying, you can't do that. How can you just have faith? He said, faith is going to be, it's going to be revealed by what you actually do. Because he goes on in verse 26 of that same chapter, he says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's dead. And, and when I look at that, I think, well, is dead faith really faith? I mean, if it's dead, is it faith? It, I don't think it is. It doesn't seem like it to me. He's saying you don't have a choice. There's no option here. Your faith is exercised by what you do. And, and I, you know, I feel like I talk about this a lot, but it's because I know my own tendency and I know our tendency is to want to just kind of rest in our faith. 
and kind of, you know, maybe even rest in our laurels, the things we've done in the past and think, you know what, I've done all these things, you know, and that's, that's my, my faith, but now we're kind of resting in, in what we've done and we think maybe we've uh, paid our dues so now I can just sit tight. Let me tell you something, in the Christian faith, you've never gotten to the place where you paid your dues and have nothing to do. Amen. Never. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you can make an impact in the lives of others. Always, always. There's never a reason for us not to be able to make an impact. And frankly, it's somewhat of, a, of an epidemic in the church where we want to kind of rest on our laurels or we'll rest on Jesus' laurels, like what he did for me so I could just sit and enjoy the fruit of his labor. And, and church, it's a scary place to be. It's a scary place to be because, you know, I can think back to the things I've done that required faith, where my faith was revealed. You know, oh, I spent a, I spent a year in West Africa and I, I spent time ministering to Muslims and showing them the love of Jesus. And I gave five years to missions and I did all these things. And I can, if, if I got to look back 20 years to figure out where my faith was revealed, I'm missing something. Because there's opportunity today to let my faith be revealed through my life. There's opportunity tomorrow. There's opportunity every day. And Sunday morning is easy. I get to reveal my faith on Sunday mornings because you guys come and I get to share the word. But you know what? I, I, I don't go to bed and sleep for the other six and a half days of the, of the week. I live my life too. So I'm out in public. I'm out, I have opportunity to show my faith too. And as long as we have breath in our lungs, we can make an impact. Because even I, I think about my mom all the time. You guys know, my, a lot of you know my mom passed away a, a couple years ago and, and she had cancer and it, it was gone. It came back. And when it came back, they said she had a week to live. She got leukemia, and they said, you have one week. And that she ended up living just exactly a week from almost the moment that they told us. And that last week, we had her in my brother's home, and we just were with her. And I tell you what, she made more of an impact in people's lives that last week than some people do their whole life. She was encouraging them, telling them not to worry. They come in to the house all upset and crying and sad. By the time they left, they were encouraged because she was able to make an impact in their lives for the glory of God as long as she had breath in her lungs. And that should be our heart. That should be our passion in our life. Impacting others is significant because this is how we build the kingdom of God. Church, we get this incredible opportunity to be kingdom builders. We get to partner with Jesus to build his kingdom. Do we understand the significance of that? That he allows us to partner with him to build his kingdom, the greatest kingdom in the history of the universe. We get to be part of it and to help build it. But it's only by making an impact in other people's lives. You know, all the earthly kingdoms, most of them were built by force. You know, they, they forced their way into, their, into building their kingdom. The, some of the great conquerors of the past, Alexander the Great, Attila the Hun, Napoleon Bonaparte, Julius Caesar, they, they, took their, they built their kingdoms with a sword, by force. God doesn't build his kingdom that way. He builds it through us. Loving others, sacrificially, making an impact in others' lives. And he says, you can do it, and I'll do it with you. What an incredible privilege that we have to help build his kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. I'll stop right there for just a moment. You are the light of the world. He's talking to us, church. He's talking to all of us. You know, in John 8, he actually says, I am the light of the world. So you look at this, you think, well, is he confused? No, Jesus doesn't get confused. What he's saying is that he is the light of the world, and as we are in him, as his Holy Spirit is in us, we become that light. That light of Jesus transfers from him to us and shines out of us. 
Just like Moses, when he went up on the mountain and he came down after being in the presence of God, he had to, they had to put a veil over him so they could stand in his presence because his face shone of the glory of God. And that's who we are. We are the light of the world, Jesus says. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. People light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Everyone say, see your good deeds. That's making an impact so that everyone can see that you're making it. When they see what you do, it makes an impact. They will see your good deeds. You impact their life and they will praise your Father in heaven. Notice they're not going to praise you. They're going to praise your Father in heaven. And let me tell you, that's what you want because if you get the reward for your good deeds that they see, Jesus said you've got your reward if you get it from man. That's it. But man, if Jesus, if God gets the glory and they praise your Father in heaven, you get your reward on the other side. The computers, the phones, the iPads, they're all way better on the other side, guys. Way better. You want your reward over there more so than here. Jesus is inviting us to greater faith to make an impact. That's what he's inviting us to do. And we've been sharing the invitations of Jesus throughout these four weeks together in regards to our faith. And I want to share with you today, the, the invitation he gives us today is told through the story of the Good Samaritan. And um, many of you know the story. I'll kind of set it up and then I'll read a little bit of it too. But the, the story of the Good Samaritan starts with a, an expert in the law coming to Jesus. And he says, okay, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus throws it back on him. He says, well, you're, you're an expert in the law. You know the law. What does it say? How do you read it? And he said, well, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're right. That's exactly right. But then it says that this guy, this expert in the law, wanting to justify himself, so we're seeing here that he's not really coming with a heart of humility. He's kind of wanting to see what he can get away with. It says to justify himself, he said, well, then who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, oh, I'm glad you asked. You know, this guy was probably hoping Jesus would say, oh, you know, it's your, it's your wife and your kids and, and those that you love and those that are easy to want to wanna give, give to and, and impact their lives. He's hoping he's going to say that. He's, he's thinking to himself, please, please don't say that I got to do something nice for Gentiles. Please, please. And the worst of all would be a Samaritan. But here it comes because, you know, Jesus is going for the jugular. So here's what Jesus says, starting in verse 30. He says, in reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then the man put him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and, I will in I, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It's a beautiful story. One of the most beautiful stories you'll ever read in all the Bible. Shows the sacrificial love 
of somebody that was wanting, that was willing to sacrifice to make an impact in the life of someone else. And you know, this story actually is really a, a somewhat of a representation of the gospel. You know, we, we were beaten and in a ditch bleeding out, half dead, not because somebody beat us up, but because of our own sin. And Jesus came along, bandaged our wounds, but he went the, he went the extra mile. He went the extra mile after that and the extra mile after that and paid the price for us so that we could be permanently healed, spiritually permanently healed. And it's very interesting because, you know, this, this story I shared last week, if you, if you weren't here, let me just re, kind of reiterate, but Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They were incredibly hostile towards each other. Jews actually called Samaritans half-breeds because the Samaritan race, people group, came from the Jews that were left when, Bab the, when the Babylonian Empire came and exiled all the Israelites to Babylon. They left the ones that they didn't think were worthy to even come with them. So those that stayed intermingled with other people and, and kind of created their own race known as Samaritans. So Jews called them half-breeds. They said they were worse than Gentiles is how they felt about them. And they oppressed them, and they were not nice to them. And so for this Samaritan to go above and beyond to do this was actually doing this for an enemy. And you see, the, the reason this story kind of relates to the gospel is because, you know, we were God's enemies too. We were enemies of God when he came along and did what he did for us. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for the ungodly, right? In fact, that's in Romans, uh, where is it at? Romans 5. And also in that chapter, Paul says this in Romans 5.10. He says, so if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now just think about that for a minute. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an enemy of God. Amen. It doesn't really work out well for enemies of God. Just ask Sodom and Gomorrah. Ask Korah and his family how that worked out. You don't want to be an enemy of God, but God said... I'm not going to allow you to stay an enemy. Right. He made every, every way for us to be able to know him and be found in him. And let me tell you, what he says here today, what he says to this expert in the law, is he's telling us that it is a mistake. It is a trap for us to think that we could fulfill that first great commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and not fulfill the second commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not possible to do. Just like those three tenets of faith that I showed you up there, to think that we can honor God and stop there and not love our neighbor and, and bless our neighbor, we are deceiving ourselves because you cannot do it. Jesus is showing a picture of how we live out our faith by the story of the Good Samaritan. You can't just say you love God and not bless your neighbor and not take care of your neighbor's needs when you see them put in front of you in your life. And see, Jesus had to tell us to love our neighbor because he knows how selfish we are. Notice he didn't have to tell us to love ourselves. God doesn't have to tell us to love ourselves. That's, that's nowhere in the Bible because it doesn't need to be. We're good at taking care of ourselves. Let me tell you, I am phenomenal at taking care of my needs and making sure that I'm comfortable. If I'm hungry... Joy doesn't have to come up to me and go, hey, are you hungry? You hungry? Do I need to feed you? Can I get you something? Can I do something for you? If I'm hungry, if I'm driving down the road and I'm hungry, I'm going through a drive-thru. If I'm at home and I'm hungry, you're going to find me in my pantry. 
If I'm at your house and I'm hungry, you might find me in your pantry. I'm going to take care of that need that I have. We are good at that. We're exceptional at that. I'm great at making sure my bed is nice and warm on a, nice, on a cold winter's night. Very good at that. So Jesus knows we're going to take care of ourselves. So he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you love your neighbor as yourself, he knows you're going to take care of him. Because we're good at taking care of ourselves. Now notice he doesn't say don't love yourself. He says love your neighbor as yourself. So you can still take care of your needs. It's good for you to take care of your needs, your family's needs, those that you love. But he's saying you also got to get that neighbor too. And he says that neighbor isn't just your wife or your cousin or your brother or sister or your best friend. Your neighbor is that person that could be your enemy. And that's how you live out your faith. And that's how you really are going to be able to make an impact in life. So I want to give you quickly, I want to give you three keys to making an impact. And the first one is you have something to give. We have to remember that we have something to give. We have the ability to make an impact in people's lives. And you might think, well, that doesn't take any faith. Well, it does if you're going to do it God's way. Because if we're going to do it God's way, it's usually going to involve sacrifice. It's going to involve stepping out of our comfort zone. It's going to involve doing something that we probably wouldn't normally do. The, e the easy things to do to make an impact, those are, those are legitimate too. But God's way usually looks like the, the story of the Good Samaritan. He, he went above and beyond. He, he bandaged his wounds. He put them on his own donkey. He gave money to the end to make sure he was taken care of. He went above and beyond. That's how God expects us to help make an impact in people's lives. And some of us might say, well, I just, you know, I don't know that I have anything to give. I'm telling you today, you are not insignificant. Making an impact in the lives of people is not just for the pastor. It's not just for the church staff. It's not just for the super gifted. It's not just for those that have the anointing on their life. We all have the anointing on our life to make an impact in the lives of people God puts in our path. Every single one of us. In fact, my job isn't to make an impact on our whole community. My job is very clear in the scripture that it is to equip you to make an impact on the community. We are all called to make an impact, and none of us are insignificant. God is not looking for super Christians. He's looking for people that will be faithful. That's what he's looking for. You look in the Word of God. Moses, Gideon, David, Paul, on and on and on the list goes of people that came up wanting, that were lacking, had glaring weaknesses, but they were faithful. And God called them and used them for his glory. That's all God's looking for for us. He wants faithful soldiers that will help to build his kingdom. And you have something to give. No matter how small or insignificant it might seem. You know, I, we're in this season of pandemic, and I know I, I hear a lot of people say that they just wish it wasn't here, and kind of, I, I, we, we're seeing a lot of pity parties, people that are feeling sorry for themselves because why did it have to, have to happen during my lifetime? The earth's been around for thousands of years. Why, am, why does it have to happen with, while I'm here? And uh, people even come to, to me and Joy and said, man, we're so sorry that you had to transition into the leadership of the church during a pandemic and haven't been able to have real church yet or, you know, not everybody's able to come out and it's just so hard and all the social distancing. And, and I always, always, immediately my spirit rises up. I'm like, no, 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 no. Do not feel sorry for me. God has me in this place for such a time as this. I was born for such a time as this. 
But listen, so were you. So were you. The fact that you were living on earth during a pandemic like this is not insignificant. God has something for you to do to make an impact on the lives of those that are outside of these walls. He has something for you to do. I am telling you, church, the world is seeing everything crumble for them. You know what the church is seeing? We're seeing a lot of the junk being crumbling off of us. But you know what doesn't change no matter what kind of the pandemic we're in is who God is, who Jesus is, and what our faith is in, period. So we have something to give. Now, I'm not asking you to go sell your house and give all your money to the poor. You know, some of us are so afraid to really commit to trusting God in this because we're afraid God's going to make us, you know, live in a tent and give everything away for the rest of our life. That's not, what he, that's not our God. He doesn't take you to those, you know, if you dip your toes in, he doesn't pull you in and pull you down to the bottom of the sea. He meets us where we are. And you even look at the Samaritan that came across this guy and he, he did what he did for him. He helped him out and, and, and put him in the inn. And, you know, all signs show that he probably went on and lived his life. He didn't, he didn't quit his job and start a nonprofit for the advancement of Jews beat up on the street. You know, he didn't, he didn't abandon his family and say, I just got to help people and, and stay by this inn all the time to make sure I can put. He didn't do those things. He did what he could do in the moment. God put a situation in front of him and he responded. And God's doing that for us too. Sometimes we walk around like this though because we don't want to see those situations. Sometimes we just need to open our eyes and see that it's there and be a blessing that God has called us to be in our life. All right, the second one, your enemy is the perfect candidate. And everybody said, <laughs> that's not a real fun one, but your enemy is the perfect candidate for you to make an impact in their life. You know, the, the, the expert in the law, he said, okay, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Because he wanted to know. He's like, okay, who, who can I still hate? Because, you know, in that day, the teachers of the law, they actually taught that you are to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was a very common teaching. It was a misinterpretation of the law, and it was very evil, but it was also very commonly practiced, that they were allowed to hate their enemies. Because the law said, love your neighbor, so they just made an assumption that, well, if it says love your neighbor, I guess that means I could hate my enemy. And so they did. In fact, there was a strong push that, that, that was... Uh, convincing these guys that it was their duty as a good Jewish person to hate their neighbor. So this guy's like, well, I'm going to ask him who my neighbor is so that I can, so I can make sure I can still hate the people I want to hate. And if we're honest, isn't that kind of how we are too? I mean, we won't say it out loud, but it's like, oh man, but this guy really wronged me. I mean, I forgive him because I know the Bible says I have to forgive and I want to do that, but, but I still don't want to like him, Right? But Jesus says, you have to love your enemies. In fact, in Matthew 5, I shared this last week. I'm going to share it again. He says in verse 43, he says, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's why Jesus said that. He said that's what they were taught is they would hate their enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. You notice here Jesus didn't say not to have any enemies. He didn't say we couldn't have them. He said we have to love them. See, God knows that we're human beings and we're going to have adversaries. There are going to be people that wrong you and that don't care that they wronged you and did you wrong and mistreated you and did all kinds of things to you. If I, if I tell you to sit there and think of a few people that have wronged you and you've been treated unjustly by, you could probably come up with a pretty quick list. It might even be right there at the top of your head. So we, we have enemies, 
But God says, I want you to love those enemies. He doesn't give us a license to just be whatever about it. Last week I said he doesn't even allow us to be apathetic about it. He tells us that we have to love them. And it almost doesn't seem fair. Like, come on, Jesus, I mean, I'll forgive them, but I got to love them? That's tough. But he doesn't tell us to do something without helping us or even giving us a reason for it. And the reason that he wants us to love our enemies, one of the reasons is because we have a greater opportunity to make a kingdom impact in the lives of our enemies than we even do those that are our neighbors. Those that are the ones that we love, those that are the ones that we really care about. Because the ones you care about that are close to you, they expect you to be forgiving. They expect you to be gracious. They expect you to be nice and kind. They expect you to be generous with them, right? Let me tell you, if, if Joy has a birthday and I don't get her a birthday present, it's not going to go well for me. She likes presents. She, it's, there's an expectation there because we are neighbors, close neighbors, the closest of neighbors, Right? <laughs> There's an expectation. But man, if I do something and I go above and beyond for an enemy, and let me tell you, your enemies know that they're your enemies. They know there's that, you know, when you see them at Walmart and you run the other way and act like you didn't see them, they do the same thing to you, right? But if we will do something for them and go the extra mile, that makes a greater impact in their lives because there's no expectation there. So if we will do that, Jesus says, if we will love our enemies, we will get to make an impact in their lives. You know, we don't get to see in this story of the Good Samaritan what happened to this Jewish man when he finally came to and, and recovered. And when he was told by the doctor, hey, this is what happened to you. You got beat up. You were half dead. Some guy came and picked you up and put you in this, this room here. And he also paid to make sure we took care of you. And the guy's sitting there going, oh, well, that's really cool. I want to I know who that is so I can go talk to him and thank him. They said, well, actually, it was a Samaritan. I can promise you that messed that guy up. To know that his enemy took care of him. Especially if they told him, yeah, by the way, a Levite and a priest went by too. And they just, they left you there to die. But this enemy of yours went the extra mile. I can promise you if that Samaritan wanted to talk to that guy about his faith in Jesus, if he had faith in Jesus, he would have listened to him. Because he went the extra mile to make sure that he made an impact. Our generosity to our enemies should look stupid to the world. It should look absolutely absurd to the world. I, I watch stuff. I love to watch documentaries. I love to watch crime shows. It's just, I don't know, maybe it's a dark side. I actually just like to see the, I actually like to see the end, see guys get caught. I like justice, you know. And you'll see, I'll watch these shows, and these guys at the end, they'll interview them and say, like, you know, their, their loved one was murdered or hurt or something by this guy. And they'll say, well, do you forgive this guy? And more often than not, they say, no, I don't forgive him. I want him to die. Yeah. You know, we see it all the time. That's how the world lives. But Jesus says, I want you to go, not only do you need to forgive them, I want you to love them. Our generosity to those that have hurt us should look stupid to the world. Jesus' generosity to the woman caught in adultery looks stupid. Because the law said they had every right to stone her. And Jesus forgave her and extended grace to her. It looked dumb to the world. That's how our love for our enemies should look. It should look ridiculous to them that we would love people in such a way. Romans 12 and verse 20 the Apostle Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And watch this. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, for those of you who are wanting to hurt your enemy, that's not what this is saying. So don't rejoice that I get to dump some hot oil on my enemy's head. He says, do not overcome evil, do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When he says heap burning coals on their head, this is actually about conviction. 
He's saying by doing this, you will actually bring conviction in their life. If we return good for evil. And he says that good overcomes evil. We can overcome evil with good. We forget this so much. There is power when we do it in faith. There is power in our good acts towards those who've done evil towards us. There's power in a church. It's biblical. You don't have to do it hoping just because Jesus said to do it. He's saying if you will do it, you will bring conviction on that person. Now, not every time. There's times people are so hardened, they're not going to care. But you really want to see hardened hearts broken. Do this and trust God in it. It takes faith to love an enemy. And there will always, always, always be excuses. You know, the priest and the Levite had wonderful excuses, I'm sure, as to why they walked across the other side of the, room, of the road. You know, the priest could have said, I'm on my way to the temple. You know, I'm, I'm clean. I can't get blood on my robe. You know, I got to be at the temple by 1 o'clock. Sorry, man. Or, you know, that was a very dangerous road where this happened, supposedly. And they could have said, well, it's, you know, how do I know this is an ambush? How do I know if I don't stop, if I stop and help him, that someone might jump out of the bushes and do it to me too? Or, you know, I just don't have time. I, I don't even know what to do. I'm not a doctor. I don't know how to help. There's excuses galore for all of us to not do what God has put in front of us to do. But it's not for us to be apathetic towards the needs of people around us. And my heart's desire is that our heart would break for those people that have hurt us. You know, when, you, when your heart breaks for people that have done you wrong, it changes your whole perspective. It's easier to forgive them. You can actually start praying for them and wanting God to bless them. And that's the way to live because that's how we truly live free is when we are able to love those that have done evil to us. Your enemy is a great candidate for you to make an impact in their life, church. All right, and the final one, it's just the difference between decision and different. Now, let me explain. The ability to really make an impact in people's life, and frankly, to even have the desire to make an impact in people's life, hinges on the difference between this, between a decision and different. You see, there are those who have heard the gospel and have, and have made a decision to follow Jesus because they know it's the right thing to do, they understand that they're a sinner, they need a savior, and I, I need, I, and the only one, the only way to, to God is through Jesus, so they've made a decision to commit their life to God, to commit their way to God, right? And, but they're not necessarily different. They've just made a decision. Then you have those that are, that are completely committed to God. When they, they've given their heart, they've given their life, they've said, God, Jesus, I want you to come in and take residence in me. My life is not my own anymore. I give it to you. I lay it down. As Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we do that, we actually become different. We are actually not the same person that we were before we came to that point in our life, where we can actually look back and say, that's the old me. The new me doesn't even resemble that old me. But if we just made a decision, that old me kind of comes with me. And we're not necessarily living a different life, we're just wanting fire insurance. And let me tell you, church, this is an epidemic in the church today. It's an epidemic. It was an issue back then. Jesus is showing us right here about the, the idea of somebody just making a decision. The priest and the Levite, they made a decision to follow God. He was a priest. 
He, he wore the robe. He, he had the right stuff. He filled himself up with the head knowledge. He knew the right things to do. He knew the right things to say. He knew how to get position, how to get influence. He knew those things, but all he did is make a decision. Because when the opportunity arose for him to make a difference in somebody's life, he rejected it. Because he wasn't different, he just made a decision. And let me tell you today, the, the, the expert in the law that came to Jesus, he wasn't different either. He had just made a decision too. Because you'll see it, it's very subtle, but I, I read this today or this week in a commentary I was reading, and I thought it was very fascinating. When Jesus says, who's the one that showed him mercy? You see what the, the expert said. He said, or he said, who was the neighbor? And the expert said, oh, it's the one who showed mercy. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. Didn't he want to say it? He said, oh, it's the one who showed mercy. He wasn't different. He was just made a decision. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow God. He, he had all the head knowledge. He was an expert in the law. And, and I think we do this sometimes. We get ourselves puffed up. Paul talks about being puffed up in Corinthians. He said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. But too many of us are puffed up because we think we know what we need to do, but we're not necessarily allowing the Holy Spirit to come into our life in such a way that he changes us and makes us more like him. We kind of want to do our thing. We kind of want to live the incognito Christian life where we don't make any difference at all out there. We can show it in here because we're with like-minded people, but when we get outside of these walls, everything's different, and we feel like we have to go incognito mode, put on the dark shades and walk around and not say anything to anybody. And let me tell you today, church, I'm not here to beat you guys up because I struggle with it too. We all do. Let's give credit where it's due. The enemy has done a phenomenal job of making us as Christians feel like we cannot share our faith with the world because nobody wants to hear it. They think we're gonna look, we think we're going to look silly. We're going to look like Bible thumpers. We're going to look like Jesus freaks. And they've done such a great job of making it to where if you're a Christian, you need to kind of keep it to yourself because nobody likes Christians. When in reality, that's not true at all. But we've convinced ourselves that that's what it's like. So we're, we're not really willing to live in such a life where we look like fools to the world. But you know, Paul said, I want to be a fool for Christ. He said, I want to be foolish. I want the world to look at me and think that I'm foolish. I gave up my life for Jesus. Good. You think I'm foolish. I know something you don't. And I have something that you might want if you listen to me. Look what he said in, in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, do not deceive yourselves. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, pay attention to what I'm about to say because there's deception out there that would try to get you to live in an opposite way of what I'm about to say. So do not deceive yourselves. Pay attention. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Are you willing to be a fool for Jesus? Amen. Are you willing to be a fool for Jesus? Church, our heart should break at the very thought, the very fact that we have been so asleep at the wheel in our faith. The fact that we struggle so much with really making an impact in the lives of others, it should break our heart. It really should. It breaks mine. You know, I get to, I get to fulfill a wonderful need in my own life to be able to share the word on Sunday mornings. And I, I come and I'm, I have a boldness that I feel like the Lord's given me and I'm excited to share the word and to preach the gospel. But like I said, I have six and a half days the rest of the week that I, I miss opportunities all the time. I'm just going to be honest with you. 
and I'm not here, I'm not here to, to beat you up or to beat myself up, but I, I know one thing, that the Lord has given me a strong conviction to preach the word and to preach truth. And not to just make us all feel good about ourselves, but to challenge us with the truth of God's word. If we really want to see the trend changing in our society of Christianity tailing off, of church attendance tailing off, of all this agenda rising up and, and getting stronger and stronger and feeling like we're, we're losing, then we as the church have got to be willing to look foolish in the world's eyes. We have to be willing to look foolish. And that doesn't mean we're running around like our hair's on fire and staying on the street corner and tell everybody they're going to hell. I'm not talking about things like that, but I'm talking about taking advantage of the opportunities that God gives us to share the love of Jesus with this world that so desperately needs it. Let's stop believing the lie that nobody wants to hear it. You know, you don't have to start in and say, hey, you're a sinner going to hell, you need Jesus. You could just love them. You could just be generous with them. That's all they need. They need the love of Jesus in their life. And I can tell you today, if you don't know if you're in the decision group or if you're in the different group, there's a couple questions you can ask yourself very easily. What are the wins in your life? What are the biggest wins in your life? And you have to be honest with yourself because nobody else knows but you. But if the biggest wins in your life are, depending on what stage of life you're in, if it's all about having a house, having a family, having a the fence and the yard and the cars and, and advancing in your job and getting to a place where you feel like you're going to be able to retire one day. If those are the big wins, and those are not bad things, but if that is the win in your life, chances are you're just in the decision group. If, you are not, if, they're, if you're not making any effort in your life to bring glory to Jesus, if you're not making any effort to do it, if you're not sacrificing in your life to let God's glory be revealed in you and through you, you are in the decision group. I, again, I'm sorry, church. I, I hope you know I love you, but I have to speak truth. And it's not okay for us to stay in that decision group. The good news is we're not confined to these groups, okay? If you're in the decision group, you can come over to the different group. You just have to give yourself fully and wholeheartedly to Jesus. It is possible to have a saved soul in a wasted life. It absolutely is. The decision group, you're still saved because salvation doesn't come by what we do. But salvation is revealed by what we do. So we have got to decide for ourselves, I'm not going to stay in this. I'm not going to be the priest and the Levite. I'm going to be the Samaritan that's willing to make a difference. And it's not for me. It's not for my glory. It's for him and for his glory. And if we will do that and trust him, guys, we can change the world. We can change the world. You can, you can change the world of somebody around you. If my pastor had never told me that, I, that, that, that he, what he saw in me who knows if I would have walked the right path? But we have to be willing to do what God has called us to do. Let me, let me close with this. In James 4, 17, James says, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Jesus made it clear that we have to make an impact. Because we know the good we ought to do. Jesus said, go. Go. He said, he said the end of his story about the Samaritan, he said, go and do likewise. That's a command for all of us, the whole church. Would you stand with me, please? Praise God. Church, people are dying on the side of the road every hour of every day. And if that doesn't break our heart, something's wrong. Now, the good news is 
that just because something's wrong, when God reveals what's wrong in our heart, an area of our heart that might be dark or selfish, it's never to shame us. It's never to beat us down. It's to bring life into that area. That's what it's for. So if you're listening to this today and you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm really probably not going to make an impact in anybody's life. I'm not going to sacrifice. I'm not going to I'm not going to go above and beyond. This is, a great, this is a good sermon, but it's just, not, it's just not for me. I can tell you today, without question, you are in the decision group. And I don't say that to beat you up. I say that to expose the heart so that you can get before God and say, God, okay, if I'm in that group, I don't, if you want to stay in that group, nothing anybody can do. But if you want to be in that place where you know you're different, where you can look back and say, oh my goodness, I, can't even, I don't even recognize that guy that I used to be because he's done so much in my life. He does stuff in our life as we go from decision to dedication and being devoted to him and saying, Jesus, my life is yours. My life is yours. Church, I, I made all kinds of sacrifices in my life even to get to where I am today. I, if I didn't answer this call, I could, have a, I could still have my business, making a bunch of money, living high on the hog, doing my thing, appeasing my guilt by giving some money to the church. I could be doing all that. But I was not going to allow my life, the purpose of my life wasn't going to be to see how much of an empire I could build. The purpose of my life was to dedicate it to him and however he wanted to use me. If he wanted to use me in the pastorate, great. If he wanted to use me to clean toilets, great. If he wanted to use me to just love people, great. Whatever it is, but I got to the place in my life where I said, Jesus, my life's yours. I don't own it anymore. I'm crucified. If we're crucified, we're dead. Amen? There's no better place to be than to be crucified with Christ. No better place, because we don't actually have to go through the, the physical pain of the crucifixion. We might have to go through the pain of letting go of our own selfishness. But man, when you get on the other side of that, God is so good. I wouldn't trade my life for anything in this world. If they said you could be president of the United States tomorrow, I would say I'd laugh till I passed out. No way. This is the greatest gig in the world. And it's an honor for me to be here. And I'm just, I just want the best for you guys too. And I pray that you'll just... Open your heart to God and let him, let him reveal his truth to you. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word because it brings life. Thank you for shining light in the places in our heart that we may not have given to you. God, we don't want to be in the decision group. I know nobody in this room wants to be in that group. Nobody watching online wants to be in that group. But we don't necessarily know how to get out of it. God, I pray you would reveal to us what we need to do. Reveal your heart to us, God. And Lord, we come to you today and we repent for where we have allowed our own desires, our own selfishness, our own wants, our own needs to take precedent over everything else. God, we come to you today. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that when we come to you transparently, that you come into those places in our life and you breathe life. Would you breathe life into those places in each and every one of our hearts today? God, and it's for your glory. Lord, this is all for you, Jesus. It is all for you. This is not for any man, any woman, any boy or girl, or nobody else's glory. It's only for you. We want more than anything for you to be glorified because we know, God, that as you are glorified, mm, the world can be changed. God, help us to be your vessels to bring change into this world. Help us to be the good Samaritan that would meet the needs that we see put in front of us, God. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.